3 John verses 13 and 14 as we conclude this evening our study through 3 John. John writes, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. Uh, Last week we examined verses 11 and 12 of this passage, of this epistle of 3 John. And John says in verse 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And again, it actually would read, follow not evil, but good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And John began, I told you last week, this portion of his, of, of his letter, this verse, verse 11, by stating beloved. And we spent some time last week just looking into that, that one word and the significance of what John was actually saying when he used this term. And the term is actually mentioned, I believe it's four times I mentioned last week to you within this third epistle. This third epistle is only, only uh, 14 verses long, and it actually has this word used four times. And the first time it is used is in verse 1 when John says, well-beloved, but it's the same word. It's translated well-beloved in the first verse. However, it's the same word in the Greek that is translated beloved in the other verses of this epistle. And the word beloved, when John uses this word, again, it's not just a filler word, as we might would say. And I mentioned this last week because we have a tendency, especially if you grew up in the church, you grew up under church leadership, there's a tendency to refer to each other just by, even as children, even those who aren't saved, still will refer to the adults within the congregation as brother or sister, even if they're not even believers themselves, but yet it's kind of become common practice uh, to do so. And and brethren is a biblical term, brother, sister is a biblical term, or biblical terms in the sense of the the meaning of that, that word uh, in terms of the fellowship and relationship that is shared because of Christ. And when John uses this word beloved here in verse 11 and, and throughout this epistle, he is speaking to Gaius, of course, in a, in a very endearing manner. And he's speaking to Gaius specifically as a fellow recipient of God's love and one who loved the Lord out of the love that God had for him. As John explained in this first general epistle, if you remember in 1 John 4.19, I referenced this last week, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. And so the reason Gaius loved the Lord and loved truth is because God first loved Gaius. And so Gaius is here now, John is approaching Gaius or speaking to Gaius, saying beloved, and he's doing so as it is truly a term of endearment. And I think that we need to be conscious of that and aware of that ourselves as believers in Christ, because when we refer to each other as brother or sister, we should do so to those who profess Christ and profess to be brothers and sisters, but also in doing so, if they are a brother of Christ, uh, uh, to us in Christ, then we should recognize the significance of that that greeting in saying brother or sister in this respect, that we are now speaking to someone who is a fellow recipient of God's love just as we have received God's love and that love for God is a is a testimony in their lives of that love being reciprocated back to God because God has first loved them and so this term beloved is actually of of really tremendous significance though we often read it and just tend to just skate over it so to speak without giving much thought then he goes on to say Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Which again, if you read it as it's actually translated for us, it's follow not evil, but good. 
And the verb follow literally means imitate, as we saw last week. And John's command is not a call to act in a superficial or hypocritical manner, but is a command to follow after God or godliness, as indicated in the text within this verse, the next statement within this text in in this verse. He goes on to say, He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now notice that John explained that if one did good, that individual was of God. And this means that all good is of God and from God. And God had expounded this truth in his first epistle, if you recall with me, when John said in 1 John 2.29, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So if you know that God is righteous, if you know if Christ is righteous, then everyone else who does righteousness is born of him because man cannot do righteousness of himself. That's the point. Then he goes on to say in 1 John 3, 7 through 10, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And again, the emphasis here being that if one does righteousness, it's only because they, it is the righteousness of Christ being worked in and through them because the presence of the righteous Christ dwelling in them. So he's saying if one does righteousness, let's say if one does righteousness, he becomes righteous. No, if one does righteousness, it's based on his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, which is now being lived and demonstrated through them. Then he goes on in verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And again, the word commit here is that of practice. It's practicing lawlessness. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In other words, he cannot continue in sin. doesn't mean we cannot commit a sin or do wrong. It means that, or do a sin. It means that if one is born of God, he cannot commit sin. He cannot practice sin. He cannot live in sin. And the reason that is impossible is because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ Himself is living within that individual and therefore that one who is born of God cannot just live a life full of sin, a life given over to sin is what's being stated. He goes on to say in this, verse 10, in this the children of God are manifest. Here's, here it is. Here's the manifestation of God's children and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, I do want to point this out again, as I mentioned last week, and this kind of just really jumps out at us when we stop and really observe what we are reading in this text. Notice he begins here, 1 John 3, 7 and 10. He says, he that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. So again, if one is doing righteousness, it's because Christ is righteous and the righteousness is just as his righteousness because it is his righteousness. That is the point John is making. But then he goes on to say, he, verse 8, that committeth sin is of the devil. So in both of these verses, you find a contrast being made, but in both cases, it is a positive action. In other words, he, he that doeth righteousness, he who does this righteousness, is righteous even as Christ is righteous because it's the righteousness of Christ in him. The next one, he that committeth sin. He who lives and practices sin, that he is of the devil. But then notice the last statement in verse 10. He says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. So here's the manifestation, here's the testing, here's the proving grounds of whether one is of God or of Satan. And then notice what he says, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So now, in contrast to the two positive statements, 
He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. You see these? Now, the last portion of this, he says, he changes it up. He that doeth not righteousness. Now, this is interesting because this really clears the playing field. Here, John is making a, an absolute definitive statement, as he often did, especially in his first epistle. And here's what John is saying. Okay, one may, if one does righteousness, it's because he is righteous. It is Christ in him who is righteous doing the righteousness. He is born of God. But then he says, if one does wicked, it's because, or wickedness, it's because he is of his father, the devil. But then, John goes on to conclude, and he really makes it clear here, he that doeth not righteousness. Now we're not talking about what he does do, we're talking about what one does not do. So it's not about, oh, if one does good, then he's of God. If one does bad, he's of the devil. Though that's true, he's saying, if one does not practice righteousness, he's not of God. So here's the real test coming out. It's not, how many, think about this for a minute. It, it, look at even the Aaron people's mentality and in, in their, in their, 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 their school of thought in, in the sense of saying, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm really not doing that bad. I'm not as bad as someone else is, right? I don't live quite that bad. Or I'm, you know, no, if one is not living and practicing righteousness, he's not of God. And John is making a clear, distinct statement here. So all those who are in Christ not only do not practice sin, but in contrast will live in righteousness. And then verse 12, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and we know that our record is true. There are only two mentions in Scripture by someone by this name, as I mentioned last week, Acts 19, 24-28, and then 3 John, verse 12, as we just read. Verse 12, he says, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. The testimony of Demetrius, like that of Gaius, was not a self-professed testimony, but one which was testified of him by others, as was the case with with Gaius, as John testified in this epistle. Then he goes on to say, Yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. Demetrius was a faithful brother, and John thought it necessary or beneficial to commend such a brother to Gaius, and John exhorted Gaius to follow after good, which is to follow after God. So tonight we conclude our study of this third epistle, as I've mentioned already, and throughout this epistle we have seen how John emphasizes truth in the following ways. First, fellowship in the truth, verse 1. True, or, or second, Truth abiding in Gaius, verse 3. Third, Gaius walking or abiding in truth, verses 3 and 4. Four, encouraging and assisting those who walk in truth as a fellow helper to the truth, verse 8. Or verses 5 through 8. Five, a warning regarding those who reject truth, verses 9 and 10. And six, a reminder that there are those who walk in truth, verse 12. So it's obvious that John places a great emphasis on truth within this epistle, as he did in the second epistle as well, but he accompanies that with love. And he does so in the second epistle regarding the inseparable link which exists between love and truth. And consistent with the many similarities which exist within John's second and third epistle, as we've already seen through our study of 2 John and 3 John thus far, 3 John concludes in a very similar manner as that of his second epistle. 2 John verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Now listen to verses 13 and 14 of 3 John. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet thy friends by name. Now, there are some things for us to consider within John's farewell to Gaius in 3 John. And this is what this is. This is the farewell. This is his concluding statements to Gaius in this epistle. 
First of all, let's read verses 13 and 14 again, and then we'll draw from these verses. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. So let's notice, first of all, John could not exhaust the matter of truth within an epistle, within any of of his epistles. Notice what he says, verse 13, again, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. Now, we understand that they didn't have ink and pen as we do today, obviously, or paper as we do today. And that's really not the point here. What he's saying is, I've written this letter, and he says, I have much more to say, but I'm not going to continue to write the letter. I'm going to conclude the letter. But in that, we need to recognize something. With all John has said in 1 John, with all John has said in 2 John, with all John has said in 3 John, truth is inexhaustible. There is no possibility that someone can write, speak, or explain all truth. The truth that we have been given by the Lord is more than that which man can fully understand or comprehend, and that is not to mention all that God has not revealed to man. Let us remember something. In God's Word, we have the complete revelation of God to man as God has desired to reveal Himself to man in the person of Christ and the revelation of Christ through His Word. This is God's complete revelation to man as He has so chosen to give it to us. But let us also remember that we do not have the complete revelation of all God is. We don't. And we could never comprehend all that God is. And so, even that which we have, we don't fully comprehend. So truth is inexhaustible. Jesus himself declared to his disciples that they were not able to bear the truth he had yet to reveal to them. In John 16, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you. But ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So he says he will guide you into all truth. Not meaning, of course, that we come to understand all truth, but it is the Spirit who is guiding us in truth, and he only guides us into truth. And so here Jesus says to his disciples, I have so much to say to you, but if I were attempt to say all... If I were to attempt to say all of this to you now, you would not be able to receive it. You would not be able to bear it. You would not be able to understand it. You would not be able to comprehend it all. And so he's saying, I will send the comforter and he's going to guide you into truth. He's going to continue to illuminate your understanding and your hearts, your minds to my truth. And you will walk in truth. And number two, from this text in verse 14, John says, But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. So John valued personal fellowship and experience, only experienced around and in the truth. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. So I have much to say, I have more to say to you, but I'm not going to do it, write it down on, on, on parchment, I'm not going to write it down uh, as I have this letter. He says, but I desire to see you face to face, and I trust I will. And so John valued this personal fellowship only experienced around and in the truth. Hear me, it is wonderful to listen to truth throughout the day. It is wonderful to read the truth of God's Word and study the truth of God's Word. It is wonderful for us 
to have time alone with the Lord in which we meditate upon His goodness, His grace, His truth, His person, and that we pray unto Him and we make, open up our hearts before Him. These things are wonderful. And it's wonderful for you to have the means that we have today to glean the truth of God's Word, whether it be via internet or, or radio or TV or whatever it may be. These are, these are wonderful uh, blessings from God that we have. But none of this replaces the gathering of the body in and around the truth. And John is saying even then, okay, I have a means to reach you with truth, but I desire to come to you to see you face to face. And he knew that there was a, a fellowship around it in truth that was only experienced around it in truth in a personal manner. Truth is foundational to genuine and biblical fellowship. And John desired to not only write of the truth to Gaius, but he also desired to fellowship in the truth personally with Gaius. John's desire and commitment to meet with Gaius can be appreciated when we consider the relationship which existed between John and Gaius as indicated in the opening of this epistle. Verses 1 and 2, look back. The elder, John, the elder, unto the well-beloved, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, here it is again, beloved. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. So the truth to which John and Gaius were both committed was a bond which continued to cultivate a fellowship between not only John and Gaius, but also all others who were committed to the same truth. Verse 14, John says, Peace be to thee. In conclusion, our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. John concludes this epistle with three distinct expressions of endearment towards Gaius. First, he says, Peace. Peace be to thee. Now, this has importance within its context concerning what he has just said about Diotrephes prior to mentioning Demetrius at the last, but Diotrephes previously, he had stated about Diotrephes how that he loved to have the preeminence among the church and how that he, of course, rejected John. He reject, John says he rejected me. He rejected, uh, he's rejecting John's letter. He's rejecting John's apostleship. He's rejecting all those who are in the truth because he loved the preeminence. So that creates all types of problems within the church. When men exalt themselves, as we've already discovered, when men exalt themselves and they want the preeminence, they want, to, they want to head over the church, rather than acknowledging Christ as the head of the church, that is going to create all types of problems. And so when John says peace to Gaius here, this is no doubt in relation to Demetrius, or, or I'm sorry, to Diotrephes, and the problems that were caused by Diotrephes and his love for preeminence. So in the face of opposition such as that of Diotrephes who rejected truth and all those who declared truth, John expressed his desire for Gaius to have the blessing of peace. Again, I'm reminded of our study of Ephesians not too many months ago in which we were looking at Ephesians chapter 6. And if you recall, recall with me, in the midst of the, the, the passage concerning the armor of God, and there's so much to say there, which you, if you were with us, you already know uh, what was said through that study. As we consider that passage of Scripture, you remember that he talks about and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The whole message of this is Christ is, is this armor put on, as Paul says in Romans 13, put on the armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is that armor of light. But when he says have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it's in the midst of talking about the conflict 
that is constantly going on within and you're facing constantly from without. And in the middle of that, he says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the midst of all this conflict, he's talking about standing, he's talking about the, the attacks of the enemy, the wiles of the devil, and then he says, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we have peace in the midst of the conflict because the peace is not with those who are fighting us, the peace is with God through Jesus Christ. And here he says, peace be to thee. Diotrephes is not cultivating peace here at all. Gaius is not in a situation where peace is being prompted or produced. But that does not mean that Gaius cannot remain in peace in the truth with the Lord because of truth. Then second is salutations. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. The friends of John were the friends of Gaius. The friends of the gospel are the friends of those who live in the truth of the gospel. It's really that simple. The gospel provides a universal fellowship among those who live in its truth. I didn't say it provides universal fellowship with those who claim to live in its truth. But if someone is living in the truth of the gospel, and you love that same truth, and you live in the truth of the gospel, then guess what? You have fellowship with that person living in the truth of the gospel. And that's not because you get along. It's not because, oh, he's my buddy. No, it's because of the gospel. In fact, again, and the truth... John emphasizes the important significance of truth in this epistle. Again, he mentions truth multiple times in these 14 verses. And he even the, the theme of the epistle being uh, that he speaks to Gaius and talks about him being a fellow helper to the truth. A fellow helper to the truth. So those who love truth... Let me rephrase that. I love those who love truth. I can't help but love those who love truth. You know why? Because the truth is what is common ground for us. And, and don't be confused about what I'm saying. I didn't say I love those who love to increase in knowledge. I said I love those who love truth. But who is truth? Christ is truth. Those who truly love Christ, I love them. But those who love Him, follow Him. Third, exhortation. John exhorted Gaius, greet the friends by name. And notice he says, greet the friends. What friends? The friends of truth. Greet the friends by name. John exhorted Gaius to greet the friends of the gospel by name or to make it a personal involvement in the same manner in which John has written this epistle to Gaius. This is personal. Remember, 1 John is a general epistle. 2 John is written to either a specific lady in relationship with her children or a specific church in relationship to that body. And so he's saying that either way, it's, it's not personal in the same degree. No one's mentioned by name. But here, in 3 John, Gaius is the recipient. And John says to Gaius, greet the friends by name. Just as this is personal with you and I, so... This is to be personal with you and others who are friends of the truth. So truth is paramount, as John emphasized in this epistle. And there is no greater testimony that men can possess than that of the truth abiding in them and that they are abiding in the truth or walking in the truth or living in the truth. 
Scripture tells us on more than one occasion that we are to walk worthy of the calling of God or something to that measure. And what is actually being stated there, when we are being commanded to walk worthy of the calling of God or to work worthy of this grace, if you will, that means that we are to walk in and according to the truth. So as John exhorts Gaius throughout this epistle to be a fellow helper to the truth, so we should be fellow helpers to the truth. We should, we should have naturally, supernaturally, I'm saying naturally as a believer because of Christ in us, but it's a supernatural work in which we are to love those who love the truth. And those who follow in the truth, those who walk after Christ, those in whom Christ dwells and those who follow after Christ, we naturally love them as followers of Christ because of the supernatural work of grace done in our hearts and lives. So John emphasizes throughout this third epistle the significance, the importance of the truth. Be a fellow helper to the truth. Think of it like this for a moment. You have disagreements with people who are believers. You're at odds with people who are believers. You know what fixes that? Truth. It does. And I, I don't mean just a truth. No, the truth. Resolves those issues because you know what? As soon as we really start focusing on Christ, even in disagreements, even at odds, if we are turning our attention and focus on Christ, there will be fellowship that is present because of the truth, because of the gospel. So let us be fellow helpers to the truth, as John exhorts Gaius to do in this epistle.